Hello, and welcome to Footnoting History. My name is Nathan. In honor of it being Halloween, we asked our podcast team to submit some of their favorite scary stories from history, and so today, Elizabeth, Christine, and Lucy will be telling you three of their favorite scary stories from the annals of history. So sit back, relax, and listen. Or not, because someone may be standing behind you. Hello, this is Elizabeth, and I'm here to share with you the story of Carl Tanzler, or, as he liked to call himself, the Count von Kosel. Insert evil laugh. Mwahahaha. Although, I mean, he probably didn't laugh like that. I debated different creepy stories to share, but I ended up with a family favorite straight out of 1930s Key West, Florida. And no, it has nothing to do with Ernest Hemingway or his six-toed cats. Instead, I'm sharing with you the story of Carl Tanzler and his, as Ben Harrison put it, undying love for Elena Hoyos. Carl Tanzler was born in Germany in 1877, and he emigrated to the U.S. in 1926. Although married and with two daughters, in 1927, Carl left them in Zephyr Hills, Florida, to take a job as a radiologic technologist at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West. He renamed himself Carl von Kosel, and was even known to refer to himself, as I mentioned, as the Count von Kosel, based on what he believed to be his lineage. In 1930, Carl met 21-year-old Elena Hoyos, a local beauty who was, sadly, slowly dying of tuberculosis, a disease that would eventually claim most of her immediate family. Carl quickly fell in love with Elena, and he hoped to cure her disease with his x-ray machine. Nothing worked, and a year and a half later, Elena died and was buried in an above-ground mausoleum. At first, Carl limited himself to climbing the fence of the cemetery and sitting by the intended final resting pace of his beloved and singing to her, which does not sound at all creepy. Eventually, though, it wasn't enough for Carl, and he stole her body. And this is where it gets truly odd. Decomposition had already set in, but Carl was not deterred. He used wire hangers to keep her bones together, created a wig from her hair as it fell out, stuffed rags into her chest cavity to help keep its form, and used perfume and other materials to help mask the odor. He dressed her in fine clothes and jewels and kept her in his bed. Mm-hmm. In 1940, Carl's actions were found out by Elena's sister, and he was put on trial. Eventually the case was dropped as the statute of limitations had run out. Elena's body was returned to her crib, and Carl returned to Zephyr Hills, remember that's where he originally emigrated to with his family, and he died there in 1952. His body was found in his home three weeks after his death, near a waxen, life-size effigy of his Elena. It's Christine, and I have a ghost story for you, because what's Halloween without a bit of the supernatural? This particular ghostly moment in history comes to us from 19th century Melbourne, Australia. If you're a live performance lover like I am, you know that all sorts of venues have claims to hauntings. You may even be aware of so-called ghost lights that make sure a theater is never fully dark. But 
In Melbourne, the Princess Theatre takes their ghosts very seriously. In fact, for every opening night at the theatre, they reserve a seat in the dress circle, and they attribute a sighting of the spirit to be a mark of good luck, which all performers would like to have. So, whose ghost is haunting the Australian landmark? Well, it is believed to be the spirit of a man named Frederick Baker, who was a popular operatic baritone in the 1880s. On March 3, 1888, which was a Saturday, Frederick was performing in the first performance of a new English-language production of the opera Faust. The opera is based on a Greek legend and involves things like, well, demons. Frederick was playing Mephistopheles, which an article from the Australian newspaper Table Talk called, quote, his satanic majesty, end quote. So you can imagine what that must have looked like when he quite literally sang his heart out. According to articles published in the days that followed the event, Frederick began the performance well enough, but by the final act, he wasn't doing so great. During one of the biggest moments of the opera, his character and that of Faust's were sent to descend through a trap door in the stage and presumably down into the bowels of hell or the netherworld. From the audience, it was surely an impressive moment that had them captivated and enthralled, but for the performers, it was something entirely different. Although everybody above the stage remained ignorant of what was happening, the movement of the trap caused Frederick to sway, and he collapsed in what appeared to be a faint below the stage, taking his co-star with him in a tumble to the ground. Everyone below the stage ran to him to try and help. A physician was there, but nothing could be done. He was taken to the green room and pronounced dead before the performance was fully over. When news spread, both the performers and the audience were no doubt shocked and saddened. The Illustrated Australian News said of the event, quote, Nothing more weird and melancholy than this unlooked-for and highly sensational occurrence has been recorded in connection with the stage. You see, the English-born opera singer apparently had a history of heart ailments, but no one suspected he would die that night on the stage or else they wouldn't have let him go on. He wasn't even 40 years old. How many people get to go out quite literally with a grand and magnificent sounding demonic descent to hell? I mean, seriously, think of the final image people had. No wonder his ghost would want to stick around the Princess Theater forever after. One last thing. The final words he spoke on stage before he died were, It might be. Up the clothes and down the stair, in the house with Burke and Hare. Burke's the butcher, Hare's the thief, knocks the boy who buys the beef. I'm Lucy, and my favorite frightening footnote comes from the dark lanes and well-lit lecture halls of 19th century Edinburgh. In the 1820s, Scotland's capital was a fast-growing city, prosperous but with increasingly crowded slums. Unexpectedly, at the close of the decade, the desperation of dire poverty collided, publicly and notoriously, with the academic celebrity and member of the Royal Society, Dr. Robert Knox. Knox was the museum curator for Edinburgh's Royal College of Surgeons, as well as an independent teacher. Over two-thirds of the enrolled students at the university's prestigious medical school were in his classes. And this was a problem. For the charismatic Dr. Knox taught anatomy, Anatomy was a controversial subject, on the cutting edge of research, but still a cause for cultural anxiety. 
what would happen to cut up bodies at the resurrection. Those who robbed graves for new anatomical subjects were dubbed resurrection men. Burke and Hare went a step further. They knew that the best corpses for dissection, those that would fetch the highest price, were fresh corpses. It all started in 1827 with a lodger of Hare's who died owing rent. The obvious solution was to sell the body to Dr. Knox. The demand for bodies was high. Burke and Hare decided to supply them. Men and women newly arrived to the city, or long isolated there by poverty, were smothered in secret, their unmarked bodies sold. There were at least sixteen victims. But after a year, Burke and Hare made mistakes. First, there was the gossip about the disappearance of a prostitute, Mary Holden, and her daughter Peggy. Then, the two men killed a well-known young man who begged in the streets, daft Jamie, whose vanishing sparked outrage. Burke and Hare may have been made reckless. The next killing was detected. The outcry then began in earnest, in newspapers, in broadsheets, in poetry, crying out for justice. The victims, obscure in life, were illustrated and individualized in death. Hare turned witness to the pair's deeds in a trial that began on Christmas Eve of 1828. At its conclusion, Burke was hanged, and his body given for anatomical dissection. This was far from the end of the Burke and Hare stories, however. An unlikely alliance across social class created a rift in the city's consciousness of itself, and a legend that still circulates. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week.